0: Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Cool. All right. You ready to do this? Yes, sir. All right. Here we go. In three, two, one.
2: Let me tell you what a hard day's work looks like. It's waking up before the sun comes Listen up to and like this. 18 take 18 hours of hard physical labor into a single day during harvest. It's putting on your work boots, running tractors, plowing fields, and bandaging up calloused hands so that you can wake up the following day and do it all over again. It's worrying about crops when the weather is too dry, too wet, too hot, or too cold. It's exhaustion in every bone in your body, but knowing that people and jobs depend on you to keep putting one foot in front of the other. All over Illinois, there are people like me, farmers, yes, but also truck drivers, plumbers, electricians, grocery workers, mechanics, and so many others who put in hours and sweat to provide for their families. These regular working folks make our state great, and they'll be the driving force behind our state's recovery. People like you and your Gold Coast friends are running our home and to the ground. Governor Pritzker, you're spending millions of dollars of your family's money to attack me for how I run my business, the business that I built with my own two hands. You sit around with your soft hands laughing with your snooty friends at the downstate farmer who thinks that he can make a difference. Well, you got one thing wrong. I don't think I can make a difference. I know I can make a difference because I know what it takes to work hard and build something. And you don't have a clue.
1: Are you writing all that down?
3: I got it down, you know, a DB, Darren Bailey, the uh, hog farmer from uh, downstate Illinois, not a hog farmer. Uh, And, um, (laughs) you know, I got to tell you. Uh, we have an abundance of downstate people on the Ben Jarofsky show. Did you know that day? We have a lot of downstate people. <laughs> Did you
1: uh, know that? I'm that's me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of our downstate <laughs> Bob diver for
3: president. Yeah, I agree. Uh downstate person chimed in with that. Well, we have abundance. Uh, we have a lot of people don't know this. The Ben Jarofsky show has an Alton correspondent. His name is Alex. It's true. He's never come on the show, but, He's busy preparing for the show. But one of the things I always tease Dennis about is how he gets up early and chops wood. And it's like the downstate work ethic. And whenever whenever I hear uh, that riff, I've heard it now twice. No, actually three times because I heard it on my own independently. I think of you getting up early with your dad, going out and chopping the wood, none of which ever happened. No, <laughs> that did
1: happen. <laughs> You're kidding. No, no, my dad would do that. Like. Wait, would you do it with him? Hell yeah! Like my dad, my dad had a DUI and he couldn't drive, so he'd be like, "All right, I need you to pick me up at seven in the morning." <laughs> and dude, I show up at seven o three. What the hell? You're late. Like, uh, dude, we're just gonna go chop wood. Oh my god, that's hilarious. Then we'd go to a, then we'd go to a bar at like seven, eight in the morning. It was called the Dew oh. the Dew Drop In. They had breakfast. Biscuits and the gravy. Do drop in. Get it, ladies and gentlemen?
3: Wow, that's pretty <laughs> clever. Wait a minute. So if you got up at seven to chop wood and you went to the dow drop in by eight, there's not a lot of wood chopping going on.
1: I'm just saying. That that was you know, we were just starting the day. Then we'd go out to the field and start chopping wood for like five or six hours. Oh, so time out. So you didn't get up at seven to chop wood, you got up seven to go to the do drop in. Yeah. And eat. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I, get okay, I, was, I get it. I was I was eating. <laughs> What was Daddy D doing? Uh, I was eating. Daddy D was (laughs) imbibing. (laughs)
3: Uh, Father-son moments. Uh, Anyway, DB, Darren Bailey, that's the downstate work ethic. I'm with you 100%, man. I got soft hands, too. Look, big time. Big soft <laughs> big. But I don't shake anymore. I, I didn't know if I told you this, Dennis. I probably told you this I just forgot. I've since COVID stopped shaking hand. I love it. I'm all elbows. So you you know what I mean? I've been going out more. I told you this. So whenever I go to like just parties, the wedding, reader functions, what have you. First Tuesdays, people come up to me, hey man, I want to shake hands. Uh-uh. Elbow Bump. Come on now. <laughs> and so people are like, Oh, yeah, I like you. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, what yeah, they're saying. Bailey, I may have soft hands, but these elbows, oh boy, are they sharp. Ow! I, love how
1: you, I love how you think those people are like, oh, that's cool. They're probably like, what a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> There's many times where I'm like
3: in a public place and I go off on one of my riffs and then I look at the people that I'm riffing to, like I'll show some incredibly nerdy knowledge of politics that normal human beings would not have. And the people will be looking at me like, wow, you know, even Terry Cosgrove, Mr. I know everything about politics, state of Illinois. I'm always correct him because he's always getting stuff wrong. And even now he makes fun of me. You know, you're in trouble with Terry Cosgrove's saying, oh, you know too
1: much about politics. All right, everybody, your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, August 9th, is brought to you by, we haven't even done the intro yet, (laughs) SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, every now and again, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns. You haven't smoked pot since the 70s, (coughs) 80s. 80s old. Excuse me. (laughs) 40 years ago. Including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader. Reader ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. It is Tuesday, August 9th. And this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. today on the program i wonder how her summer's going our good friend del marie cobb and now your host don't try to shake his hand <laughs> elbows only <laughs> elbows only chicago Reader columnist ben
3: jarofsky Hello everybody, Ben Trusky here. We're calling this Mar-a-Lago Busted Tuesday, and here's why. Well, you know why, ladies and gentlemen, the weekend got a little more interesting. Actually, it was a Monday event, but I think of this as a three-day weekend. Remember the old days, D? When we come back from this, I go, so D, how was your weekend? Yeah. And then you would always go,
1: "Uh, it's Tuesday. It seemed like like you were going to do that, and I was really looking forward to you asking me how my weekend was. Oh, well, you know what? Let's rewind.
3: (laughs) Uh,
1: So D, how was your weekend? It was all right. Okay.
3: There we go. Ah, uh, set me up like a bowling pin and then knocked me down. Anyway, yesterday, was yesterday, Monday. Man, my, my folks, this, this sound, this is the sound of my phone blowing up uh, when word broke that Donnie Trump, uh, his uh, Floridian home, his mansion at Mar-a-Lago was busted by the FBI. And man, everybody You're the happiest man in America yesterday? You guys can all guess it, Monroe Anderson. <laughs> uh, here's a little inside. Monroe led the raid. Yes, he put on a <laughs> piff helmet, and he was like re- leading the raid. Uh, so I heard from absolutely everybody uh, in my political universe yesterday, and just all the speculation, like what are they looking for, what do they hope to find, why are they doing it, etc. And so forth. Uh, we'll be talking about it all week. But the interesting thing is that uh, I got to give MAGA credit. I really do. And I'm, and I'm not uh, being a hundred percent sarcastic here, <laughs> maybe 50%, but I got a ma- uh, MAGA credit because they hit the ground running with a uh, choreographed and uh, just like everybody's singing from the same page response to this. That was an outrageous act of uh, political vengeance uh, that the FBI has become a political hit team uh, that uh, they, went beyond uh, their powers and authority uh, that Donald Trump is somehow or other a victim uh, that is prosecutorial overreach, uh, et cetera, and so forth. And not only did they say it like, um, you know, uh, in front of the cameras, not only did uh, MAGA have a well choreographed response in front of the cameras to the raid, but I have been getting nonstop, nonstop ladies and gentlemen for at least 12 hours, probably more like 24 hours uh, email solicitations from various MAGA groups uh, regarding the raid. So, I mean, think about that. They hit the ground running and, you know, I kind of give them credit for that in a weird way. I Marie Cobb will be coming on the show real soon, a democratic uh, political consultant strategist. She's been around for a while. Get her thoughts on this, uh, how uh, MAGA has responded uh, here's one. And, and by the way, every single email, uh, uh, solicitation of outrage, I get every single email I get, uh, with outrage about what happened to Donald Trump and the FBI raid at his uh, home comes with a solicitation, a request for money. <laughs> so they're not stupid. Here we go. Here's what breaking Trump drop, everything Biden's FBI search, which hunt against, President Trump, Marco uh, Rubio sent me this one, Mar-a-Lago raid. Where does Biden's Department of Justice find the time? Uh, here, breaking news, never in America has anything so outrageous happened. Uh, and uh, I also got one from Herschel Walker, weighing in from Georgia. He's outraged, too. <laughs> Herschel Walker, he's outraged by the raid at Mar-a-Lago, and he wants people to send them money. And i got to say this, and um, I... I'm going to put this in Delmarie's here and get her response on this one. But there's a part of me, as much as I dislike where the Republican Party is going, to put it mildly, as much as I just really cannot take MAGA, uh, I have to, re- I realize that if it were reversed, that if some Democratic president, ex-president, had his home raided by FBI under... Uh, a Republican president more likely than not, I'd be screaming from the rooftops too. I, I just got to be honest. I remember back in the nineties, Del Marie Cobb's going to smile at this one. My mom and I would have it. My mom who makes you rest in peace, die hard political junkie. I probably inherited this from her. She loved politics and I, I'll never understand this one. Uh, Delmarie, my mom loved bill Clinton. And when, uh, Kenneth Starr went after Clinton, uh, over Monica Lewinsky and the scandal that erupted in the white house, uh, in the second term of Clinton's presidency, my mom was outraged. And I remember once Clinton gave a speech where he said, I'll never step down. And my mom was in tears. She was so moved by it, by Clinton's speech. Now, uh, I, that was the, before email. My mom never had email, uh, never had the Internet. So there wasn't it wasn't the profusion of email solicitations. But had there been, there would have been. Give money, send money. So I must confess, ladies and gentlemen, I didn't feel bad for Donald Trump. Quite the contrary. Kind of like, well, uh, the chickens have come home to roost. You know, use Malcolm X's a line from the 60s, uh, Donald Trump. And I had a smile at the rhetoric, the anti-FBI rhetoric coming out of uh, law and order types like defund the FBI. I think that was uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's uh, statement. Now they have a defund the FBI movement. (laughs) Is that ironic or what? Uh, But I have to admit that had the roles been reversed, there's a good chance that I would be screaming as loud as MAGA, and that's kind of where we are with partisan politics uh, in the United States of America. I must make that confession. All right, I'm going to bring on our dear friend Del Marie Cobb. It's been way too long since uh, since she's been on the show. Uh, welcome back, Del Marie.
0: Hello. How are you doing?
3: I am very fired up, as you know, Del Marie. I've already had like two pre-show conversations. Uh, she's fired up too. So we have a whole list of things to talk about Del Marie since the last time we were on the show. Uh, at the top of the list was Kansas and abortion. Uh, and we'll get to that because it's been preempted. I think you'll agree by the raid on Donald Trump, just momentarily preempted. I just want to say, uh, by the raid on Donald Trump's uh, house and uh, you heard a little bit of my uh, initial take about the Republican um, reaction response, which was uh, very well choreographed and instantaneous, I might add, uh, almost from the moment news broke that uh, the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago, Republicans were responding with outrage. But what's your general take uh, on the raid, what it means, and also the Republican response?
0: What took you so long? <laughs> That's my general response. (laughs) I am, you know, I couldn't be happier. Um, We know Donald Trump did a million things wrong. And, um, you know, it's just a matter of them all coming to light. Uh, You know, he's proven to be Teflon. And that can only last so long when there's so much evidence uh, against him. Something's got to break through at some point. And I think that, you know, finally we're seeing it. I mean, there's just been little bitty things that are happening. But I think overall, um, hopefully, right will win out over wrong. And, um, and that's what you saw with the Alex Jones verdict and uh, what you saw with Steve Bannon, And hopefully we're going to see it with Donald Trump.
3: Well, uh, God gave me a lot to respond to uh, in terms of Steve Bannon. Uh, he he, of course, uh, was convicted by uh, a jury. I think it was in Virginia, may have Maryland. I, I I can't remember exactly where uh, Dummery, but he was convicted of uh, charges of not cooperating, obstructing justice with Congress, or not cooperating with Congress. Can't remember the exact uh, conviction. It was a misdemeanor, but immediately he went on the attack, uh, and he said that uh, his congressional Democratic congressmen uh, and women who are leading the uh, investigation of the insurrection of January 6th had better keep their notes because if the Republicans are victorious in November, take back the House, there will be an investigation of the investigators. Mm -hmm. And that line was repeated, uh, updated, if you will, by Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, yesterday uh, in response to the raid at Trump. Uh, at Mar-a-Lago, I don't know if you saw this summary, but Kevin McCarthy said, and I'm paraphrasing, I not the exact quote in front of me. Uh, in you know FBI, Chris Christopher Ray, you better have your notes, you better have keep all your records, because if we win in uh, November, uh, we will be investigating you in regards of whether this is uh, overreach. Uh, do you think this is an issue that will have traction uh, for MAGA uh, in the upcoming uh, months, heading into the midterms?
0: Well, we know that that's what they're going to do is uh, this is the party of revenge and vindictiveness and overreaching. And um, this is not a party that cares about the Republican Party is not a party that cares about advancing people. Uh, we see that over and over. It has one. They are they're concerned about one thing, and that's power. And that's all they're concerned about. And what's so pitiful in, in so many regards is that the mega mega supporters don't get it. They don't see it. They have truly been brainwashed.
3: Oh, that, that is clear. I uh, see. I actually thought, uh, I, I, I feel that this will. I, I felt all along, uh, Marie, that this was not going to be your typical sleepy midterm, uh, election. Okay. Which is, you know, what we're used to, uh, the passion of a presidential, uh, race and with all the stakes involved, the high stakes involved, uh, usually fades two years in. Uh, and so the party that's out of power in the white house has uh, more of an advantage, uh, but between Kansas and we'll get to that. Uh, and the abortion rulings of the Supreme Court uh, and the laws that many uh, legislators, Republican uh, legislators throughout the country are passing uh, the abortion issue will, will really motivate people. And now I, I do believe uh, that the MAGA chorus and I do I agree with you there. It's a, I call it a cult. Um, this this has them fired up. So I I think this will actually spur uh, more MAGA people to show up. And I think that the Republicans know that, uh, and that's why they're pushing it so hard. So I do believe that this will be a different kind of midterm, uh, election. Your thoughts?
0: No, I agree with you. That's exactly what they're hoping will happen is that, um, their side of the aisle will be so, um, incensed and motivated that they'll turn out in droves and, um, to win, and that's what we cannot let happen as as uh, uh, Democrats. We cannot let that happen uh, because too much is at stake. We see where they will take the party uh, if they're in control. And they're just salivating at this point because it, it, the, the margin is so close. Um, I mean, what they did with abortion and um, the fact that you have all these states and all these governors uh, absolutely ramming, um, the banning of abortion down people's throats when all the polls show that the majority of Americans don't feel that way, don't want it a, a, abolished completely. Um, and so that's why Kansas is so, was so important because to see the faces of the, of the elected officials after the vote say they were in shock. I mean, how, how are you in shock? when for years the polls have shown you that this is where the country was on the issue of, a, of a, abortion.
3: Well, I, we'll get into abortion. I have a lot of thoughts, and I'd love to get your uh, thoughts about it too. Just hold off. I just One last thing about the raid. Uh, I just saw this article right before it went on the air, and you're going to get a little delight out of this one. Uh, all right, so a long-time listeners of the show, uh know that Delmarie Cobb's a big fan of Hillary Clinton. Uh, she was Hillary Clinton's uh, uh, spokesperson in the state of Illinois uh, in 2020. Uh, and as such, uh, she's been on my show debating various lefties. Uh, I'm, uh, Delmarie would be supporting Hillary and the lefties would be supporting Bernie or even left of that. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, that great showdown debate that I, I had set up, but that you had, you couldn't do because you're officially a spokesperson, uh, you versus Carlos Ramirez Rosa at the hideout would, would have been one of the classics of all time Marie, because he's a pretty good debater, Alderman uh, Ramirez Rosa. Um, and I would, would have really look forward to it. But anyway, here we go. Hillary, this broke in the Washington post about an hour ago, Hillary Clinton Hawks quote, but her emails merchandise after FBI searches Trump residents and a finally Delmarie Democrats are picking up on the game that Trump, this is a Trump game immediately hit the ground running, get your merch out there. So make fun of the opposite side, taunt them, tease them, trash talk them. Uh, and uh, Hillary Clinton, Now the difference is in this particular event, it looks like Hillary Clinton is raising money to help a political campaigns where I think Donnie Trump is just putting in his pocket. Uh, but anyway, the merchandise, which includes the slogan, but her emails benefits Clinton's political organization onward together. Every, but her emails hat or shirt, uh, sold helps onward together. Partners defend democracy, build a progressive bench and fight for our values. Clinton, uh, tweeted Just saying. Come on, Dummer. We must get a little delight uh, out of Hillary uh, taking this opportunity to get just a little good tweak or punch in uh, to the people who tormented her so much.
0: Oh, there's been a lot of delights uh, since the uh, 2020, since the 2020. uh, uh, and 2016 elections. I mean, she, so much of what was done to her has been uh, has come out in the wash. Um, it's just amazing. I know she's sitting back and she's saying, "Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, I told you. You know, she told us who Donald Trump was. All along, she was telling us who he was. And you know, the media was very complicit in in helping him become the president. Uh, there was this sense of inevitability. How could she lose? She was Hillary Clinton. And my position was always, she was a woman. How could she win? And otherwise we would have had a woman president before now. And so that was my position is that we can't sit back and and take this for granted. we've got to fight every step of the way, and that just did not happen and the media gave this man billions of dollars in free advertising
3: and what do you think that's all about the media's love uh with donald trump it's fatuation. it's uh it, it it it's just uh bending over backwards every time uh, he speaks out, immediate attention is showering. And what do you think, what do you think that's all about?
0: Well, I think it's about ratings. I mean, and they, and they said as much uh, during 2016 that it was about ratings that whenever he was on, they you know, their ratings peaked. And, uh, and so it became more about that than it did the, 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 the the, uh, safety and welfare of the country. It was about, the television networks and and um, actually you know profiting yeah. off of the fact that he was outrageous, and the more outrageous he was, the better. and then they you know they kept justifying it by saying, "Well, he'll eventually be presidential, he'll be presidential and 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 as we saw, he was never presidential
3: yeah uh, no he was never presidential. He rewrote the book uh, on what is presidential. Uh, he got away with breaking all the conventions and protocols and people uh, that most presidents abide by and people uh, delighted in it. A story just broke yesterday about a uh, John Kelly's book, uh, general Kelly, who was chief of staff and was, saw this, you uh, saw this Delmarie uh, or this uh, argument they were having in the white house uh, where Trump was upset with the general's in the military and he didn't think they were supporting him enough. I can't remember what the particulars were, but it's just as a general f- statement, he was upset that they weren't loyal enough. And he said, uh, why I want, uh, generals, my generals to be like Hitler's generals. And it, it don't worry, I, I mean, I'm like, who would say something like that? do you follow me i mean like you want us generals to be like nazi generals it's so preposterous and outrageous he meant it as loyalty to him i suppose but just the notion that they would be role models a general in hitler's germany would be a role model do you follow me Delmarie? and it's just it's just a shattering a pro- saying things and doing things and behaving in a way that's just outrageous uh, to everything we're being like led to believe is how we should behave in public spheres. And it's completely changed American culture, American politics. Go
0: ahead. Right. He, well, it wasn't even about being loyal to him. It was, about, I mean, he meant what he said. Uh, it's about being authoritarian. And that's who he is. He wanted to make America into a dictatorship. Um, I mean, if you remember, and very few people remember this, and I've asked a a, a number of people, um, the first tweet that he sent out after he um, survived the first impeachment, or the I think it was the first impeachment, might have been the second impeachment (laughs) at this point. But the first tweet he sent out had a picture of him, and then the words, 2020, 2024, 2028, 2032. That's all it said. So he was telling you that his plan was to be president for life. And he was going to do whatever it took to be that. And he told us that all along, as they say, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. Yeah. And 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 uh, believe Kim Jong Un. He remember when he said how his people stand up to attention whenever he says something. That's what I want the people in America to do. The reason he wanted to have a parade uh, with all of our uh, weapons on display is because that's what he saw in these. Di- dictator countries. Uh, and so he wanted to make America into that same kind of country where everybody would be loyal to him, right or wrong. Hmm.
3: Yeah. And him alone. Exactly. They, they get to disrespect Joe Biden all they want, you know, make up names from memes for him, which by the way, I believe in free expression, you know, uh, up, to, up to a degree, I think, Like Alex Jones is beyond that. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Uh, But um, so I I don't have any problem with the with Republicans mocking Democrats, uh, but it's yeah, it's the obvious uh, contradiction uh, right there. All right. So I began the show by saying uh, that I have to admit I was impressed uh, by the orchestration that the Republicans uh, put together and uh, in response immediately hit the ground running. They knew this was an issue that would matter a lot uh, to their base. They knew their base wanted to hear them on this. uh, And so they pounded the, and it was orchestrated. It was everybody was reading from the same page that this was an outrage uh, by the FBI. I don't recall Democrats in the Biden years, in the Obama years, uh, having the same kind of everybody's on the same page uh, of focus, uh, maybe I 'm wrong, and feel free to uh, contradict me on that point uh, if you want, obviously uh, were you just as a political strategist, somebody who's been in this game a long time, uh, did you were you also on some level impressed uh, by the orchestration of the Republican response
0: I am always impressed by the Republicans and their response. I mean, if there's, I I have praised them. (laughs) I'm not happy about it, Uh, but I have praised them for years because this is not new. They jump on everything. They all start singing from the same hymnal. Uh, Nobody changes the words. It's amazing how it gets to everybody They all know it right away, what they're supposed to say, the talking points. They don't flinch. They don't blink. They don't care if it's an out-and-out lie. They don't care if you saw them kill somebody. They're going to tell you they didn't, (laughs) and they're going to stick to it. (laughs) And it is just amazing to me. I mean, as a political strategist who's constantly telling my clients to stay on message, I mean, I love it. I can't stand them but I love that.
3: <laughs> so what do you think of their message? The message being that uh, it's overreach. Uh, is there any part of you that agrees with them? That's like, <laughs> yeah, you went too far FBI. Is there any part of Delmarie Cobb that feels that way?
0: Well, certainly if there would be any group of people who would know what overreach look like, it would be the Republicans, <laughs> but this is not overreach by, by no means is this overreach.
3: Uh, in other words, you feel like it's justified. Uh, yeah, he's been, uh, and he, he, he has been, uh, just ignoring subpoenas, ignoring the law in terms of turning over records. He's been defying of them every step of the way. Uh, so he had to figure this, this, this moment was coming, uh,
0: I mean, anytime you can take your, you think you can take papers from the White House and just take them with you, 15 boxes or more, because they don't know what, we don't know what more they're going to find. Um, but that you can just take them with you when everybody knows that all of that is, everything that took place in the White House is supposed to be saved for historical purposes. Um, I mean, everything about Donald Trump, he is above the law. The law does not apply to him. It applies to everybody else but me. And that's his attitude about everything.
3: Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and yet they're the ones crying about rule of law. All right. Uh, before we go uh, shift gears and go uh, into the issue of abortion, I have to ask you, Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, is leading the charge to uh, defund the FBI. Uh, and we're in the middle Of course, of a uh, a gubernatorial election here in Chicago, excuse me, in Illinois, uh, where Darren Bailey and the Republicans are just pounding the drum uh, on lawlessness that they say is because uh, Democrats have uh, don't show enough respect for law and order. Yesterday, uh, Darren Bailey was endorsed by uh, Johnny Catanzaro, the head of the Fraternal Order Police here in Chicago on the grounds that he uh, and uh, uh, Bailey was more sensitive to the needs of police officers and did not uh, submit to democratic demands to quote defund the police. Even though of course, I don't know any democratic official that will go anywhere near that phrase. Uh, sometimes Delmarie I'm like, I have to like gasp in disbelief at uh, the strange nature of politics where it's acceptable for Marjorie Taylor Greene to say defund the FBI uh to the maga base that is outraged when a uh a leftist democrat says that or just a leftist not even democrat but it's usually beyond democratic party says defund the police in terms of uh local police i i'm not quite sure what to make of it other than um There is no meaning to anything anymore. It's like nihilistic uh, in American politics these days. Your thought on Marjorie Taylor Greene saying defund the FBI.
0: Well, it's just, you know, more of what I said in terms of they defy logic. Um, You know, defund the FBI. Uh, If you're saying defund the police, you know, oh, my God, you're against law and order. You're against the police. But yet, you know, you can you can kill police officers and security guards at the, at the uh, Capitol, at the United States Capitol, and that's okay. Um, but heaven forbid you do, you know, uh, we're, the, we're the party of law and order. We're the party that backs the blue, um, except when we don't want to, except when you interfere with us, except when we take exception to what you're doing. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it justifies logic um, that they can say these things and that there are people who hear the contradictions and 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 follow them and believe them and support them it's like don't you have a a brain of your own to think and to rationalize and to weigh what's absurd and what isn't these people are absurd and i'm not saying i mean i mean what we're seeing is something that we've never seen before. And it just, I mean, you've gotta be frightened as a rational person. You've gotta be frightened that it's only gonna get worse. It's not gonna get better.
3: What do you mean by, just be a little more specific, what we've uh, seen is something we've never seen before. What are you talking about in particular?
0: I mean, everything that is happening as a result of Donald Trump in terms of the dismantling of democracy and turning everything that we know that's right on its ear and and saying what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. And we're just supposed to take them at their word. Uh, I mean, it's just, I mean, what they're doing is, is just frightening. I mean, it's frightening on so many levels. I mean, and you can't help but go back to the abortion piece uh, and, and the right to choose and and reproductive health and what that means, because I have always said that MAGA only meant one thing. Make America Great Again meant when women, and that's white women and black women, and people of color knew their place. And the white man was king of his castle, He was king of the economy, he was king of politics, he was king of the world. And that's what they're trying to do, take women back to being barefoot and pregnant. And even one of the congressmen said, after the Dobbs decision, said, the problem in America today is women working.
3: Uh, Yeah. Uh, and by the way, uh, women working as a necessity uh, to support a household uh, in addition to women working because they want to have a career. Uh, Marie Cobb was way ahead of the curve in that one. Uh, all right. Uh, so Delmarie, one of the things uh, that I'm learning, having studied uh, and read about uh, the campaign in Kansas um, with the referendum, the uh, pro abortion rights referendum, is that, follow me on this one, The in many instances, the advocates for abortion rights used language that was traditionally used by MAGA. I found this fascinating because I'm, I watched this in reverse. Uh, when, so when the um, uh, protests erupted over uh, vaccines and masks, MAGA was outraged and they started talking about uh, choice it's their choice. <laughs> so they just shamelessly took the rhetoric of the pro-choice uh, abortion right movement and used it to justify their opposition to mandated uh, vaccines or masks in Kansas. And I said, I watched some of the commercials uh, that the uh, abortion rights people put out. They talked about uh, liberty and freedom. They used language that, MAGA used in a MAGA state, Kansas went 57%, I believe or 56% for Trump against Biden. So it's a, it's a red state. Uh, they, it's like, finally, <laughs> finally they're catching on Marie. They used MAGA's language to bolster a position that MAGA opposed. And it worked. I'm like, It worked. I'm so used to watching Democrats and abortion rights activists get pounded, you know, in this sort of propaganda game that's going on out there, Delmarie. But in this case, it worked. Did you have a similar reaction?
0: No, it did. And, and, and what people don't want is you taking away their rights. (laughs) And, uh, and the fact that, you know, they were going to equate getting a vaccine and wearing a mask as taking away my right to die, I guess. Uh, So now women are saying you can't take away a freedom that we have and tell us we can't do it and outlaw it. And not, I mean, again, talking about overreach, not only outlaw it, but then punish people, the doctors and anybody else, who assisted women, prevent them from going out of town. I mean, all these things that they're coming up with to make sure that they basically keep women almost in chains. I mean, that's what they're trying to do. I mean, if any woman who doesn't understand what's going on and thinks this is acceptable, has to be, you know, has to be crazy. Mm-hmm.
3: All right, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, a concept, uh, abortion shaming. And uh, we were talking about this at the Hideout Show uh, last week. We had a show talking about uh, abortion rights uh, and the political fallout of it. Terry Cosgrove, your old friend, was there. And um, much discussion about the concept that the right has been very successful at, at embarrassing abortion advocates on the issue that it is murder. That somehow there's something to be shameful of. And I have been noticing this. It seems like uh, if you're in favor of a woman's right to choose, just that language right there takes abortion out. Okay. Just won't even mention the procedure itself. It's, it's your choice. And so the other side is always putting like a baby's face on it. Like this is murder. And they'll go to extremes, Delmarie. I just wrote a column about Darren Bailey going to an extreme, saying uh, that uh, since Roe, uh, the number of abortions uh, in this country been outrageous, it's worse than uh, the attempted extermination of the Jews in uh, Nazi Germany. He went out and said that, okay? So they don't flinch in this. I'm starting to get a sense that there's a pushback, And I'll throw this at you. I don't know if you saw this. Neil Steinberg wrote a column yesterday for the Sun-Times. And he he was talking about this. And he alluded to, and I believe this is the phrase, I'm doing this off of memory, um, uh, an embryo the size of a cocktail, Frank, as somehow or other equated with a human life and how absurd and illogical that is. Do you think the public is ready to accept such an argument?
0: You know, I, I being a devout Catholic, <laughs> I understand the sensitivity of all of this um, and, the, and the wording and all of that. But the other part, there's another part of that and that's the reproductive health part of it. And being a black woman, and knowing what the statistics are for Black women in terms of maternal death, and um, having babies who are dying um, because they don't get the health care that they need. And when you see those numbers and the fact that you're making health care less accessible, reproductive health care less acceptable, accessible, that That becomes a safety issue. That becomes a life issue. And so we have to put it in terms that take the um, take the extremism out of it and talk about a woman's right to choose, talk about reproductive health, and talk those are the things that are important. and that's what we have to talk about. And for me, That's where I come down on the issue in terms of I cannot tell you what to do with your body. If you're saying you cannot tell me to get a vaccine, then how can you tell me that I should carry a baby to term when you know nothing about my circumstances, even if it's about the health of my circumstances? I'm not talking about the finances. I'm not talking about the the choice, I'm talking about the fact that you're taking decisions out of doctors' hands and out of families' hands. Who are you to do that?
3: Well, that has been uh, the, the sort of the uh, traditional battle cry of abortion rights activists for as long as I can remember. It's it's one that appeals to me, Absolutely. Uh, just, to know, just some of the absurdity of the rules that are being passed in states like Indiana, Texas, uh, Del Marie, where they say, all right, well, we will allow uh, uh, abortion uh, in the case of uh, a woman's uh, life's in danger, but we need proof. And so all of a sudden, you've you got to go to a judge. And I just can't imagine Republicans accepting anything like this on any issue that matters to them. You know what I'm saying? Like going to a judge, a judge is going to make a decision. Uh, you got to present evidence to the judge. The doctor has to testify perhaps and get cross-examined by the state. And, uh, so I do believe that ultimately that is, uh, the sort of the downfall of the Republican argument. And that if, if, if this focus on this particular issue remains, uh, it could it could have a, a big role in the uh, election. It could keep the Senate in democratic hands. Ultimately the house, I don't know. Our good friend Monroe Anderson is predicting the Dems will hold on to the house. It's really, I think it's uh, too early to tell your thoughts on how this all plays out in November.
0: It is too early to tell. And I think it's just going to be very close. Um, Again, so much is going on that's having an impact favorable uh, to Democrats in many ways. I mean, when you look at the gun legislation, when you look at the uh, Inflation Reduction Act passing, when you look at, um, you know, what took place in Highland Park, what took place in Buffalo, uh, New York, um, all of these things are going on. Um, and, and of course, the Dobbs decision, so much is going on. And you see the Republicans on the extreme of everything. When you look at what was going on with the veterans, all of those things are happening at the same time, and the Republicans are just on the wrong side of all of these issues. So, I mean, it's got to favor the Democrats. I mean, at least I'm hoping that God knows we cannot lose a seat. Uh, because if we if McConnell uh, Mitch McConnell uh, gets in the lead again, he is just waiting. He is just waiting to exact revenge, yeah
3: well well, I have to i I did note one uh, exception to uh, all the Republicans aboard uh, the poor donny Trump uh, bandwagon uh, with the raid silence from <laughs> Mitch McConnell. I don't know if you saw that. he hasn't by as of now, it may have changed. He had no comment on it. Well, and you know as well as, go ahead. Go he, ahead. I
0: was just going to say, he's being silent pretty much on everything that has to do with Trump. Because he wants Trump in the rearview mirror.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes, Donald Trump's presence, as much as it may animate MAGA, uh, it helps the Democrats. I'm convinced of that. Uh, because Democrats fall asleep. Delmarie, you and I have talked about this many times. They tend to fall asleep. They don't pay attention. Uh, They're usually at fighting among themselves. Uh, Lord knows we know that's true. Uh, But one thing's for certain, they all dislike Donald Trump. You know what I mean? It's universal among Democrats. Uh, And, um, in fact, someone was telling me the other day that the reason that Alex Jones' problems... You know, he was for years shaking down, uh, his, uh, fans and supporters, uh, on his show saying all kinds of outrageous stuff, but it was when he got into the political arena and went in bed with Trump, that's when people on the, on the left started paying attention to him. Do you follow me Del Marie? So oh. Donald Trump's like the third rail. <laughs> uh, and, uh, so in some level I'm like, okay, Donnie, you want to run for president again? Go bring it. Uh,
0: And then when you look at the candidates that he endorsed, uh, Donald Trump endorsed, I mean, and that's the other reason Mitch McConnell wants him in the rearview mirror, because um, these people may have gotten through the primary, but are they going to get through the general election? Because, again, they're extreme. All right.
3: That Now I got to ask you, you raised it, so I got to ask you, your thought. We've talked about this a lot on the show. I'm all over the map personally on this issue, uh, mainly because I'm so anxiety ridden about the upcoming elections. Uh, your uh, thoughts about the Democratic strategy embraced by J.B. Pritzker right here in Illinois uh, to uh, invest money on behalf in primaries on, of extremists, So in this case, uh, campaign ads depicting Darren Bailey as an absolute MAGA extremist, knowing, hoping that that will inspire MAGA voters to show up and vote for Darren Bailey. It's supposed to be an attack ad, but it's really an attempt to lure them in like moths to a flame uh, on the grounds that it's easier. It will be they're easier to defeat than a quote unquote moderate uh, like Richard Urban. Uh, Your thoughts on this strategy?
0: Well, to some degree, this strategy has been used in the past. This is not new strategy. Uh, it may be new in terms of being used in mass <laughs> by by so many people uh, across the country, but it has been used. Uh, the strategy has been used in the past, and then and then the other part of that is, uh, especially in the case of Darren Bailey, it, it it buys you time to really do your opposition research. And to, to, to show the level of opposition research that uh, Pritzker's people have done, uh, the fact that we're showing Facebook posts from 2017 that we certainly wouldn't have known anything about. And that's a commercial already. <laughs> we got two or three commercials of that already. And Pritzker doesn't need to say a word. Darren Bailey is, is doing it to himself. <laughs>
3: Well, I'm still nervous.
0: Oh, okay. uh, yes, you know. so I, I'm happy with it because it, you, you are taking a risk. Yeah. I mean, we know in Illinois it, it will work, but will it work everywhere?
3: Yeah, I don't know. And uh, I'm really nervous about Pennsylvania. I follow that election uh, pretty closely with Doug Mastriano, who is uh-huh. uh, maybe nuttier than Darren Bailey. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I actually, I never thought uh, this we should move on because this is ancient history, but I never, I don't know. Richard urban, if he had been the nominee, the one thing that Pritzker would have had to worry about, in my humble opinion, was the funding because there would have been money from Kenny G Ken Griffin, but it was, he was such a flawed candidate for MAGA at this time uh, because he's so clearly not a MAGA man. You get what I'm saying? So I, I don't know. I, I never felt that Richard Urban, uh was as much of a threat uh, as the Pritzker people obviously did. Uh, you know, you know what I'm saying, uh, uh This notion that like he's moderate, so that could win over swing voters. Yeah, but it may it would also turn off MAGA voters. But so
0: the, in the primary, he stopped being moderate. I mean, he wound up trying to. Reached over to the other side, to the extreme side of the Republicans, in order to get them, and so that's what was so insulting, as a as a as an African American who actually liked him, thought he was um, a you know. I mean, I'm from afar, of course, I didn't know him, but just looking at him as the mayor of Aurora, I mean, I liked him. I had a good warm and fuzzy feeling about him. Uh, and then to see what he became in order to become the Republican nominee, I was just appalled by that.
3: Yeah. It, uh, that yes, I was coming have, out of it was about, Yes, I agree you with you. No yeah.
0: You have no principles. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So it's all, I, I say this many times. I just wondered if he had run as like a, uh, you know Jim Thompson, Republican, or Adam Kinzinger, in terms of Trump Republican, would they? Would there are are there enough uh, moderates in that field uh, to gain him victory? I do not know the answer to that question, but he probably could feel better about himself uh, in the morning uh, if he run that kind of campaign. All right, let's switch local. I got to talk some local stuff with you before I let you go. Uh, there's uh, two issues: uh, the crime and the mayor's race. Uh, why don't we deal with crime first? Uh, You had mentioned this to me uh, earlier today, and I'd love for you to riff on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The uptick in CTA crime. uh, It's been in the newspapers. Uh, The Sun Times just did a story about how there's been more crime on the CTA this year. I think than in like five years, it's interesting how the chart goes. Delmarie, we seem to forget that there was, has always been crime in the city of Chicago, uh, on one degree to one degree to another. Uh, but, uh, your general thoughts on uh, why there's a crime spike on the CTA in Chicago?
0: Well, I just wish that when we're talking about all of these issues, that we lay the blame at the feet of the people who are partly responsible for it. And you know, we 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 sort of walk look at the issue and separate it from the public policies of the people who we elect who are supposed to represent us and who are supposed to have our best interests at heart. I mean, when we look at what's going on with the CTA and the, and the, and the trains, all I can think about is the fact that Mayor Rahm Emanuel in 2011 uh, removed conductors from the trains and then a few years later, he, to much fanfare, put cameras and held a big news conference and all the media covered it and and said, you know, I've got all these cameras now and so we can see the crime. And I immediately said, I was sitting here watching the news and I'm going, that's after the fact <laughs> they've done the crime already. What do I care if you saw them on camera, if they get away? And so now we're seeing all of that finally is coming back to haunt us. and. It's those kinds of decisions that are, they were cost savings, I guess. Um, You know, we're going to save money at the safety of other people. And now everybody is at risk. Black people, white people, poor people, rich people, anybody who's taking the train system is at risk. And now nobody knows what to do. Now everybody's up in arms trying to figure it out. But it's those decisions that are made early where you don't have anybody to say no. Other elected officials who are there in city council, they don't say no. The media don't say no. They don't ask questions like, is this safe? (laughs) You know, is this going to cause a problem? And then you cut mental health care by closing half of the city's clinics. And half of these people are mentally ill. And again, who needs more mental health care than black people who are underserved, under resourced, underemployed and under siege?
3: Uh, That was passed in a budget by uh, a a unanimous vote, 50 to nothing. uh, First budget, those mental health cuts uh, and the CTA cuts as well. That's not part of the city budget, but uh, that was in that general climate. Uh, following Rom's election in 2011, where he was ushered into the seat, by, essentially by all the, all the President Obama, uh, and the, the city basically ratified all President Obama's choice, and I think that's very important. Uh, and then it it, 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 it was uh, he was viewed as so, well, such a powerful mayor that he could destroy you if you dared to oppose him, and so he got that unanimous vote. And he used the remap, which came right after the vote, sort of keep the alderman in line. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you want an award that's favorable to you, you got to vote for me. I have always felt, and I think you share this, uh, Del Marie, that falling in line with Chicago mayors is not a healthy way to run a city. And so uh, you could go down the list of policy decisions made by all powerful mayors with full support of the city council and the public, and now we're facing a consequence. Do you get what I'm saying? But the memory is so short, people are just like mad at Lori Lightfoot.
0: Right. And that's, I mean, that's exactly all the things that we're seeing right now are decisions that were made from 30 to 40 years of bad public policy that hurt people who the least of these. I mean, that's what this is all about. And it goes from daily to ROM and, and so what, whether Lori is the beneficiary of it or she's going to address it or whatever, I mean, it all comes down to the decisions made by the mayor and the voting of the city council and whether they're there to fall in, in lockstep with the mayor or there as a buffer. Yeah. And, and they're not there as a buffer. And that's the sad part about it. I mean, you see the city, you see where it is, you see it's going to hell in a handbasket. And many of the aldermen have been there and they've allowed it to happen. They have not been the voices of their communities to say, no, you cannot do this. And then when you see some of those same people turn around and now they're going to reinvent themselves and run for mayor. (laughs) And you're the reason the school started closing in the first place.
3: Oh, my goodness. All right, we'll get to the mayor's race. Before I do, I have to say this. Uh, I began the show by saying, uh, you know, I got to admit, uh, I was pretty impressed uh, with the Republican response, how quick it was to the raid of Donald Trump's. Uh, not that I agree with it, but I was impressed by it. I got to I have to make another confession. I'm really impressed with the branding ability of Rahm Emanuel. This guy is is really I call him the maestro because he directs media coverage of him in the city. So well, he's not even in Chicago. He's in Japan. He's the ambassador to Japan. So first of all, that you were on the show opposing it, uh, his confirmation by the Senate didn't matter. He got MAGA people to support him. Now he's in Japan re- rehabilitating himself. He
0: got nine black aldermen to, support, to write letters right. to support
3: with <laughs> that one hanging there for a second. Uh, yes, he did. Uh, and um, so now he's in Japan and his, I've never f- f- seen an ambassador get so much local coverage as Rom. And my beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times, Rom's in there, I would say, at least once a week. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just now with the Nancy Pelosi visit to, uh, uh, She went to Taiwan, and she had a stopover in Japan. Rom got like two articles out of it with a picture and everything. Uh, Rom riding the subways, got a picture and an article. And uh, I'm like, you know, this man is already plotting one step ahead of everybody else, and he's trying to figure out his next move. And my guess is uh, it will be to run for Senate. Uh, because that's he's getting, quote-unquote, foreign policy experience so he can present himself as a, a serious man of the world. Uh,
0: when I was standing in Washington by myself <laughs> saying that he should not be ambassador to Japan, I was saying if we allow him to rehabilitate himself, hmm. he will come back as senator from Illinois <laughs> once Durbin decides to step down. And if anybody... Out there doesn't think that that's what this is all about. Yeah, then they're not thinking because that is what this is all about. I mean, when you say he's like the Republicans, yes, he's plotting two and three and four and five steps ahead. And while we're sitting there looking at what's happening right in front of us, he's already down the road in his planning, just like the Republicans. Yeah. Uh, and and if we don't and if we don't start doing that not only as Democrats, but as African-Americans in particular, because we're the ones who are at the bottom of every index. We're at the bottom. And we're not at the bottom because we're inferior. We're at the bottom because of the public policies that have been passed uh, that do not help us and that we allow to happen and keep allowing to happen because we want somebody to like us. And quite frankly, I don't give a damn if you like me or not. I just want you to
3: do right by me. All right. Uh, So that's a perfect uh, segue into the mayor's race. Uh, And uh, Lori Lightfoot, of course, is uh, running for re-election. At the moment, uh, I can't do off the top of my head, I think there's eight candidates who've announced uh, that they're running uh, against her. Uh, your early thoughts on the race. Uh, are, are there any out there that you think could defeat her one-on-one? Because I, I assume you agree with me that this is come one way or the other there's going to be a runoff. So all these candidates are, are fighting for the right to come in second. <laughs> right. Because I, I think Lord Life will get the most votes in the first round. So your, your general thoughts about the early stages of the mayor's race.
0: Well, I think we still haven't seen all those people who are going to jump in. I think we've got, I would say... I'm going to guess I'm going to say five more people (laughs) will jump in to the race before it's over. Um, and, and so, um, I mean, it's anyone's it's anyone's race and, uh, it'll just be interesting. What's going to be really interesting is uh, if another, another black woman jumps in there, uh, because Lori can say, you know, all these men, Uh, and running against me, but if uh, another black woman jumps in there, then it becomes a very different race.
3: Well, Sophia King, uh, you're alderman. I believe you told me that, yeah, you're in the fourth ward. I used to think you were in the third ward, but I guess redistricting put you in the fourth ward.
0: I used to be in the second ward all my life.
3: Okay, second ward. Uh, My God, the second ward bears no, the current second ward, I don't want to give out too long history lesson, bears no relation to the second ward that Delmarie Cobb is talking about. The second ward traditionally was uh, a black ward uh, in the south side of Chicago, in the near south side of Chicago. And that uh, was William Dawson country way, 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 many, many, many years ago.
0: Give we start, then. <laughs>
3: so. I, I know, the history lesson. I'm going to stop right there. And now, of course, it's a yuppie ward. Uh, well, I don't even know if yuppies exist anymore. Uh, but it's sort of an upscale uh, ward that's hideously deformed, <laughs> crosses in and out of many neighborhoods, uh, more or less uh, on the Gold Coast and the North side. Uh, it, it, William Dawson couldn't get elected anything in that ward. Uh, if for somehow or other, he was magically brought back to life.
0: Uh, and, and, and being represented by somebody who can be more antithetical than William Dawson uh, and Bobby Rush, and uh, because Bobby was the alderman of the second ward too.
3: Yes. Bobby Rush was the alderman. That's, uh, you uh, got to start in politics as alderman of the second ward in 1983 was victorious year hero one, And then he, of course, gave that up to run for Congress. Uh, and, uh, all right. Uh, so Sophia King, she gets in the race again, in my opinion, it's a battle to get in second. So I look at an alderman like Sophia King and I say, she has a chance because there's a group of constituents in the city who presumably know and like her, her, her constituents. Uh, do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. She, I see a path for her to make the runoff. I see, actually I see a path for, for a lot of these candidates that I don't particularly like at all. Like Paul Vallis. I see a path for him to make the runoff. Uh, I can't imagine someone beating Lori Lightfoot from the right. you, To me, Sophia King would have a much greater chance one-on-one against Lori Lightfoot uh, than Paul Ballas. What's your sense of uh, Sophia King's chances?
0: No, I agree with you that um, I don't think you beat Lori from the right. (laughs) No, you beat Lori from the left Um, because um, on many of the issues that she ran on that were progressive when she was running, she still hasn't fulfilled and so uh, all you have to do is run on those issues. And the fact that in four years, uh, why haven't they happened? Me- mainly the civilian oversight of the uh, police department.
3: Yeah. That, and that seems to be a lost issue, Del Marie. I booked so many guests that you've uh, asked me to book to talk about that down <laughs> through the years. I, this seems to be a lost issue with uh, crime on the CTA app carjackings up, etc. You know what I'm saying? But the, the idea of oversight of the police just seems to be a lost issue in the city of Chicago. Do you, do you see it the same way?
0: Yet yet we still have all these police mis- misconduct incidents. Yeah. And so they haven't lessened <laughs> yeah. uh, and you know, and you're we're still under a consent decree. And so, you know, where's that? So, I mean, there are issues out here to run on.
3: Yeah. My guess before it's all said and done, uh, Pat Quinn will jump in the race, former governor Pat Quinn. Uh, And uh, my guess is that someone uh, tied to the Chicago Teachers Union will jump in. So like a Brandon Johnson. And would you say there's still five people out there that might jump in? I would guess that two of them would be Pat Quinn and Brandon Johnson. Do you have any other names you want to add to that list?
0: Um, there may be a couple more, um, that I'm hearing. So, elected officials, some who are already elected officials. So, uh, then you know, I just we just heard Gary Chico is still mulling a <laughs> run. You know,
3: there, I don't see a path unless he's got big money from downs, uh, downtown business interests. I don't see a path no uh for Gary Cheeker. he's never been elected to anything so
0: no. and he keeps trying
3: yeah uh, and uh yeah absolutely keeps trying uh I, I m- my sense of it uh right now uh is that uh, Lori Lightfoot will prevail I've been saying that all along um, and feel free to close the show by vigorously and <laughs> Disagree with me. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I feel it takes a lot to get Chicagoans to change course. One thing I've learned uh, about Chicago, living here all these years, Dunmarie, they're kind of a, what's the right word? Cautious group of people. Uh, They get to know somebody and it's like an old glove and they don't want to get rid of it. I'm not saying Lori Lightfoot's an old glove, Lori Lightfoot fan, friends. I'm just uh, s- searching for a metaphor. Uh, so that's my general sense of it that Lori Lightfoot, and plus the, the, uh, her uh, nastiness, I think, uh, is an attraction to many voters who think you need a bully to be a mayor. Uh, your, your response?
0: Well, uh, I'm going to say that it's not like we haven't had one term only mayors. Uh, Jane Byrne, Michael Bolandic. So it's not like it's never happened. And so anything is possible. Yeah.
3: Fair enough. And we would have had one, would have, should have, could have had Tony Preckwell gotten the race in 2015. But that too is ancient history, Delmarie Cobb. <laughs> uh, let's not revisit that one. But man, she was ahead in the polls over ROM by like 50 something percent to ROMs in the 30s. Exactly. You know? And somehow or other, he got her out of the race.
0: Now these people, when they wait for the seat to open, I always say you can't wait for the seat to open. You just got to jump in there.
3: Yeah. By the way, speaking of which open seats, uh, we we didn't get a chance to uh, talk uh, first congressional district. Uh, and uh, that seat opened up because of Bobby Rush. And of course, Jonathan Jackson uh, was victorious. Uh, I, um, if I had still been a gambler, I would have made money. I, I told everybody never bet against uh, the Jacksons. <laughs> and uh, so it particularly since all you need is a plurality, you don't need, there's not even a runoff to win a majority. Do you follow me, Delmarie? So who's in second in that race? I can't remember.
0: Oh, it's uh, Pat Dow.
3: Pat Dow. So, okay, just think about it. Pat Dow versus uh, uh, Jackson in a runoff.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: I still think Jackson would have won, but.
0: Oh, he would have. Yeah. Uh, I mean, mainly, and, and of course I had reporters asking me, you know, well, is there fatigue with the Jacksons and so on, so, so, so. And I'm like, you know, the bottom line is uh familiarity breeds disrespect. Uh, we here in Chicago, we're like, ah, the Jacksons, <laughs> you know, but rest around the rest of the world. um, uh, Jackson is lauded uh, around the rest of the world. And so the idea that, you know, uh, Jonathan and Jonathan had to be talked into it. I mean, it's not like he was sitting there saying, oh, when Bobby steps down, I'm going to run. He really had to think about it. And uh, and then he decided, you know, I'm going to go for it. And he he can't got in late. He got a little slow start. But then, you know, the connections and, and the ability to raise money and to get on television and all those things, that took him uh, ahead of the pack.
3: Yeah. Listen, I, I told you this before. And I'll say it again. I don't. I, over the year, Jesse Jackson's been around for as long as I can remember. I mean, I the name Jesse Jackson has been in my mind since I was in junior high. <laughs> All right. And I've had various, gone through various phases with him. It's similar to Roland Burris. We were talking about him off air. We could do a whole show about this, like my changing attitudes about people who've been around for a long time. But to me, Jesse Lewis Jackson is one of the few politicians that my respect for him has increased as time has gone on, I know every flaw he's got Marie. Okay. I've either wrote about it or read about it or heard about it. You know what I mean? So you can't give me anything new on him, but it just seems like he's just been consistent for
0: how many years is that now? But what you do. Yeah. And what you do know is that they are going to be on the right side of the issues. I mean, I don't know them ever to be on the wrong side of an issue where it came to uh, the the greater good, and for me that means everything more so than the person. And so, if I have two people that I probably could have been very happy with no matter what, and uh, Jonathan was one of them, and so I'm, I'm, you know, I if it had to be any one of those two, Jonathan is fine with me because I do think that the uh, first congressional district will be in good hands. He can hit the ground running. He knows most of the people there. His father knows all of the people there. Uh, and so it's not like he's going to be uh, handicapped when he gets there. He's going to be in great shape.
3: Who was the other candidate that you've been okay with?
0: I would have been okay with Jackie Collins.
3: Oh, Jackie Collins should bring her on the show. State Senator Jackie Collins. Uh, Yeah, she's a good, a very good progressive. Absolutely. Uh, All right. Very good. Uh, Delmarie Cobb. Thank you so much for taking time uh, coming to talk to me. We even get to the governor's race. I'll bring you back for that. That uh, will be kicking into gear uh, after Labor Day. Uh, Darren Bailey representing MAGA, hoping to uh, overtake the state. Your early sense, just we'll leave it with this early sense of how that race is shaping up.
0: Well, I think we're going to see a lot more commercials (laughs) on Darren Bailey, uh, especially from his social media posts that we would have never seen otherwise. And so I don't think uh, Pritzker has anything to worry about. I think what Pritzker needs to do is to make amends with uh, the black community because the word is in the black community is that because he has so much money, he doesn't feel like he has to meet with the black community about anything.
3: Well, you heard it, uh, J.B. Pritzker uh, and Delmarie Cobb. And you, I know you know J.B. from a long, long time ago. Uh, so maybe he'll take your advice on that one, uh, Delmarie. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it, she says. All right, Delmarie, thank you very much. I appreciate it as always. You take care. And we'll talk to you soon, all right? Hey, okay, thank you. All right, that's great, Delmarie Cobb. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of George Ball in Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Dumbleie Cobb and Jesse Lewis Jackson will tell you back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. And the D stands for De Marvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody.